Hello, good morning. My name is Kay. Um, the, New the Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians 3, verses 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, everyone who is hung in a tree is cursed. He redeemed us so that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, and that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Pam. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 17, verses 19 to 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, Why couldn't we throw the demon out? Because you have little faith, he said. I assure you that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Go from here to there, and it will go. There will be nothing that you can't do. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, friends. It's good to see you today. I just want to echo what Pastor Jason uh, has shared. You know, I, I will never forget the Sunday after 9 11 uh, because of the sense of rawness in our hearts. I remember worshiping. Uh, in the other building, and just tears streaming down our face. And I don't know wh- if you were living here or where you were living, but uh, that sense of desperation and dependence on God. And I also want to acknowledge that many of you in the room, uh, I-, I read stories yesterday from different ones of you. Um, you. You signed up to serve in the military after the events of 9-11, or maybe you were already in the process of serving the Air Force, the Army, and your whole career trajectory changed because of that day. So I want to recognize that. I want to honor you today. I want to thank you for responding in ways to say, I want to do something for good in the world. So we, we thank you. We honor you along with everything else that we're thinking about this weekend. But that Sunday, you know, being in church that week, that weekend after it, it, it happened, there was such the sense of all around the country, people were saying, we need God. We need Someone to help us. There's, it, when you're, you're faced with profound evil, you hope for a greater good uh, that can be stronger than that evil. And I think about that, you know, then even as, as you sort of move past that moment, you get kind of comfortable, you get back to normal life. And it's easy to forget God when life is going good. It's easy to sort of think, oh, okay, we got it. We're, we're fine. We're okay, you know. And then even now, in the last 18 months, the on again, off again, whatever, back and forth stuff with the pandemic, there have been these brief moments where we feel like, uh-oh, we feel vulnerable again. We feel like dependent on God. And I just want to say the best place to live is to live with the sense of desperate dependence on God, to live like our life, like our daily bread comes from him because it does. And it's, it's really kind of a great setup because that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in Galatians, we're in Galatians 3, and we're talking about believing in the blessing bringer is what we're calling this week's reflection on or sermon on Galatians 3, believing in the blessing bringer. But it's really about a life of faith and a life of dependence 
on the Lord. So join me in a word of prayer as you open up the Bible. Let's pray together as we begin. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we ask even now as we open up the scriptures that you would speak to us. Lord, wherever we find ourselves today with hearts that are heavy, hearts that are weary, um, hearts that are uh, carrying anxiety or uncertainty, Lord, would you bring strength, would you bring comfort, would you let your word remind us of who you are. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. There have been a lot of sort of 20th anniversary sort of deals for us personally in our home, Uh, the sober one this weekend of 9-11, but... Uh, earlier in August, actually, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, which was a happy 20th milestone, which was great. Thank you. Very happy, very excited. Uh, But it also meant that we were digging out all the old photo albums and showing stuff to the kids, and we were also showing them some pictures of us dating in college. But the thing that they were, the teenagers especially, were most drawn to was our our fashion sense 20 years ago, Uh, our our amazing style, you know, uh, like the cargo pants and the a hemp necklace and the baggier jeans, and we were, we were cool, you know. And then before that, so that's August, but before that in July, it was also the 20th Desperation Student Conference. Now, if you've been around New Life a little bit, you know Desperation is this conference that we do for young people. We've done it for uh, 20 years, and uh, Stephen and Linda Todd are here. Their son Eric and I were in the band together, Desperation Band, and we had this little Desperation Band reunion. Like, a, we got back up on the stage, and I put my skinny jeans back on, and, and we did a couple songs from the old days, and the kids were going nuts, even though they didn't really, you know, know why they were going nuts. And... Uh, but, but in digging through that, there was like these montage pictures, you know, and, and, and you could almost tell which era was which, uh, you know, thing that we were into by how we were dressed. So the earlier years of the band, the, the jeans are baggy. There were like big pockets on the thighs. I don't know why. You want pockets right here, you know, and the T-shirts were kind of oversized. And, and then as the, like the fashion started to change, it was like long hair and skinnier jeans and random like thrift store T-shirts to make it look like you didn't really think about this, but you actually spent hours thinking about this, you know. I don't know if you have embarrassing photos, if you're old enough to have embarrassing photos. If you're not old enough, just give it time. You will one day look back at it. But there's a way of kind of identifying what you were into or who you were trying to identify with based on how you dressed, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, this is when I was in my whatever phase. And this is when I was like, like Jason had like a major California surfer phase. You may not know this about Jason, but he did. Ask him to show you the pictures. And there's a way of, because this is how we need to, you know, look to, to, to belong to this group. And there's something, of course, deeper than all of that. There is a sense in, in the human journey, in the human struggle, to get in on this secret or to get in on something. And maybe it's a group or maybe it's some sort of treasure. I think about the classic movies about a quest. Indiana Jones in the search of the Holy Grail. There's this quest that you've got to get on for eternal life or whatever it might be. Or the modern iterations, now not so modern, but maybe our generation's iterations of it, national treasure. Right? I mean, Nicolas Cage, despite being an atrocious actor, those movies are fun. And I'm sorry if that's offensive, but really, Nicolas Cage, come on. So 
there, 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 are these, there are these movies that say, yes, how do we find out the key or unlock this mystery and get in on this? Or maybe it's almost like the heist movies, you know, like the George Clooney Oceans movies where, oh, the, 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 the dream team is being assembled to break in and, and get revenge or whatever it might be. And we're drawn to this stuff because there's a thread between all of it. And the thread is there's something out there and I need to get in on that. This morning we're at the point in Galatians where we've figured out the gospel really is revolutionary, really is good news, and it's better news than the other stories that try to frame the world and make meaning of our lives. And we're like, this is an amazing story, and Jesus really does sound like good news. And last week, Pastor Jason preached about how we become the Jesus people. It it changes our sense of community, and we inherit the Jesus kind of life. It changes our identity. And you're like, this is awesome. So So what do I do to get in on that? How do I get in on this? Is there something to do? Is there nothing to do? How does this access work? Galatians 3 verses 1 through 5, if you turn there with me, Paul starts to really lay in to the church here. He says, you irrational Galatians. Some translations, you foolish Galatians. Who put a spell on you? Again, some translations, who bewitched you? Jesus Christ was put on display as crucified before your eyes. He's speaking metaphorically here. I just want to know this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, this is the first time Paul mentions the Spirit in Galatians. But the Spirit is going to become a major theme throughout this letter. We're going to pick it up a bit in chapter 4, much more in chapter 5. But we're going to recognize that the giving of the Spirit, just like that story in Acts 10 when the Spirit falls on Cornelius' household and Peter's like, "Uh uh-oh, that's kind of out of order. That was a little bit unexpected. And Paul's saying, the fact that you received the Spirit, that's a sign. You're you're already in. So, So how did that happen? Was it because of the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so irrational? After you started with the Spirit, are you now finishing up with human effort? Did you experience so much for nothing? I wonder if it really was for nothing. So does the one providing you with the Spirit or working miracles among you, amazing. Paul's like, look, there's such evidence of God at work. There's even miracles in the church. And he's like, but is this because you've been good enough? Is this because you earned it and you deserved it and you're the best? Or is this because you believed what you heard? Now we find out in the letter what Paul's really been mad about. He was kind of mad at at Peter for coming up from Jerusalem and changing how he ate with people. And he was a little bit upset that Barnabas even seemed to be selling things out. But, But actually Paul's real frustration is with his own church. Paul's like, do you all even listen to my preaching? Paul is saying this, of course, yeah. But it's as if the Galatians were saying, oh yeah, the Jesus thing, that's great, but now we kind of take it from here and do it ourselves, right? Like we just maintain this by our own works of the law. And he says, look, verse 6, understand that in the same way that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, those who believe are children of Abraham. But when it saw ahead of time that God would make the Gentiles righteous, On the basis of faith, Scripture preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is amazing. 
Scripture preached the gospel in advance. A couple of weeks ago, I told you, I said, look, we can't read the Bible like the Old Testament was a fussy God who softened up in his old age. We can't read the Bible as God had this plan A, it was a bunch of rules, and then he's like, oh, that didn't work, let's try plan B. We can't read the Bible like that. We have to recognize that there's, it's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, but something changed. And Galatians is Paul trying to say, let me show you what's the same and what's different. And he's, he's, we, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, one of the things that's the same is that God's always been the God of grace. And so his reference to Abraham is a reminder that God chose Abraham, why? Because of grace. It's an election. It's a choosing by grace. God made a promise, a covenant to Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was so awesome? No, because God's a God of grace. Are you with me? And then we said a few weeks ago that the descendants of Abraham were slaves in Egypt, Israel in Egypt, and God rescues them. Why? Because they were such awesome people? No, because they were the covenant people. So a promise and a choosing is made by grace. A saving happens by grace. And then they're given a law to kind of say, since you've been called, since you've been saved, live this way. So there's grace even in the Old Testament. But today, that was a couple of weeks ago, today Paul's saying, you know what else is the same? Access into the promise is the same. Access happened. There was not just grace in the Old Testament. There was faith in the Old Testament. This was always about faith. That you didn't get in on this by behaving good enough. You got in on this by believing that at the very beginning of the story, before there was a law, before there were commentaries on the law, before there was all of the extra stuff, there was a man that God called and he believed God. And Paul's saying, let's just take it back to the very beginning. And the simple start of this whole story was grace and faith. And that's what Paul's saying. So believing is the badge of belonging. Believing is the original badge of belonging. All the Gentiles will be blessed in you. This is what the gospel preached to Abraham. Therefore, those who believe are blessed together with Abraham who believed. Believing is the badge of belonging. Now, I've got a badge in my hands. This is our New Life Church staff badge. I've worked on staff for 21 years. I've never worn my badge to work. I just hate it. I'm just one of those people. I'm like, people are like, you need to wear your badge. I don't want to wear my badge. Volunteers, thank you for wearing your badge. I never wear my badge. And, but they recently changed our key system here at the church. So now there are no keys. We used to have codes for the outside doors and we used to have keys. Now we don't have codes and now we don't have keys. We have a badge. It's got some magic magnet thing in it, you know, and you touch the outside of the door and bing, and the door unlocks and you get in. I mean, it's so new that I'll, I'll forget my badge in my office and I'll go make copies down the hall and I come back and I can't get in my office anymore. And I'm like, knocking, can someone else let me in? It's me, it's me, let me in, you know. This is my new access badge. Now, some of you work in places where you're like, well, this is old news. I know, I know, we're just, we're slow, we're catching up. This is my new access badge. But actually, a face ID badge is the oldest access badge. 
Think about this philosophically for just a moment. My wife is from a small town in Iowa. People don't lock their doors in this small town. Like, I'm not sure that the local drugstore, I'm not sure they actually lock up for the night. Because you just come in, and you're like, hey, Joe, I grabbed a couple of cartons of milk last night. And I mean, it's just, it's a farm town. You know, everybody knows everybody. When, when, when we go back there, people will see Holly, and they'll be like, I taught your mom in school. And, you know, everybody, you're the Michael girl, and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's, it's that's her maiden name, by the way. So... Our face is like the original ID badge. Now our phones unlock with our face. And this badge has my face on it. So it's new, but it's kind of the original access badge. You follow me? That's what Paul's saying. They were accusing Paul. They're like, Paul, you're innovating here. This whole faith in God thing. Come on, did you forget about Torah? And did you forget about covenant? And And Paul's like, did you all forget how the story began? Like, go further back than the law. They're like, okay, Abraham. How did Abraham get in? They're like, it wasn't the law. It, wasn't. it was faith. He's like, exactly. Face ID is the new old badge. Faith is the badge of belonging. Believing is the badge of belonging. And then he says in verse 10, and all those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Why? Because it is written, and he's quoting Deuteronomy, Everyone is cursed who does not keep on doing all the things that have been written in the law scroll. But since no one is made righteous by the law as far as God is concerned, it is clear that the righteous one will live on the basis of faith. Now he's quoting Habakkuk. And this becomes a major rallying phrase in the Reformation when Martin Luther is studying Galatians. He's like, what, it's faith? And the law, he says, isn't based on faith. The law system developed into a system that isn't faith reliance it's rather the one doing these things will live by that system so believing is the badge of belonging but the next thing Paul wants us to know is trusting in ourselves only makes things worse trusting in ourselves only makes things worse a couple weeks ago I said to you that the law in the old testament had provisions for law breaking if you broke the law you made sacrifices so to a Jew you'd say well it's not really a point it's not really a problem but I said to you, it wasn't just simple law-breaking that was the problem. It was covenant unfaithfulness. And actually, the two things are related. Enough law-breaking is tantamount to covenant faithfulness. The two things link together in a similar way to a marriage. You could say, well, I haven't been unfaithful, but I haven't come home for five days now. And you're like, well, that, that, I mean, it's starting to be a problem, don't you think? I mean, have you called? Have you checked in? No, I just don't feel like going home anymore. But I'm not cheating on my wife. You're like, but, I mean, it's kind of like, aren't you supposed to? You see what I'm saying? Like, you're breaking the arrangements or the expectations, but you haven't technically been, you're putting a strain on the whole thing. And in the Old Testament, these two things are connected, the covenant and the law. And it wasn't purely law-breaking that God was like, ooh, petty, 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 you broke all these rules. He's saying, you're exploiting the poor. You're worshiping other gods. The covenant, you're being unfaithful. The whole thing is collapsing. And Paul's saying the flaw was not with the law, the flaw was with you, that you were trying to hold up the system, but you can't hold it up anymore. And so he's saying if you want to believe in Jesus but still act like the old system is still good, you're identifying yourself with a failed project. It's like carrying around a blockbuster video card. You could carry around a Blockbuster video card, but it ain't going to help you. 
Like that whole thing collapsed. And that's what Paul's saying. Your unfaithfulness, your sin, it made the system crash. The system, it, it would have worked, but people weren't renting videos anymore. <laughs> and so it, it, it folded. So you, why are you carrying an ID badge of a, of a system that collapsed? Does that make sense? So trusting, now we hear this and we're like, gosh, that, that's good. I'm so glad we don't do that. Um, this is not just a history lesson of what Israel did. This is a look in the mirror moment where we say, actually, we do this all the time. We use Jesus' language, but we live like we're trusting in ourselves. We use Christian words, but functionally we live like everything depends on me. And just as Israel in the Old Testament trusted in themselves and it only made things worse, we're doing the same thing. We're like, oh, Jesus, I love you. Okay, great. Now i got to get back to stuff and I'm going to make it happen. And sometimes it's our church experience that makes it worse. Where we were sort of told, God's mad, but hey, he forgave you now. Go and do better. And you're like, okay, I will do better. And you, you've got it, you, you, you find it in Catholic traditions, but you find it in Pentecostal traditions. Where it's like altar calls. Oh, God, I repent. I'm so sorry for my sin of, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, God, forgive me. I'll never. And someone's laying a hand on you. You sinners, repent. Oh, God, yes. And you get back up. You're like, okay, I'm going to try harder. Next week, you're back at the altar, crying your eyes. Oh, God, I did it again. You're like, I, I don't understand. You've got Jesus' language, but the same old self-reliance. And they're like, oh, no, I know, I know, I know. This time, I'll add accountability groups. And this time, I'll add this, and I'll add this, and I'll add this, and I'll have all these things. And all of those things are helpful, and they are good things. But if your heart is still trusting in yourself, then nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. There's a sense, very subtly, that we kind of think salvation works like this. God erases the score, erases the whiteboard, and then... We say, thank you, God, I'll take it from here. But that's not how it works. Or sometimes we think the way that salvation works is God does all this for us, and now we've got to do this for him. And so there's some people who are like driven, frantic in mission. And I've talked to pastors or missionaries who are like, they're so driven to do all of these things, but they're not. it's not coming out of a, a, a free and light response to God. It's coming out of a debt of guilt. I mean, listen, if we wanted to get more volunteers in the kids' ministry, we could really guilt you into this, you know? Back in the late 70s, there was a popular Christian song that said, you know, uh, something about no compromise and all this stuff, and it said, if Jesus rose from the grave, but you can't even get out of bed, was the line, and people were like, oh, yeah, let's be radical, you know? And you're like, yeah, God did all this, what, what are you doing for him? And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing for him. I better, I better give up my job. I better go into the ministry. I better do all this stuff. And you're serving God out of this guilt. But Paul wants us to know that's the old framework of living. That's what Paul is calling the law-based living. A living that is not really dependent on God, but still dependent on you. So you're treating faith like, yeah, I started out by repentance and faith, but then I move on to strength and self-reliance. And Paul's like, you can't start in the spirit and finish in, your, in the flesh. You can't start with a gift and then end with earning. It's, it's either a gift all the way through or it's earning all the way through. And trust me, you don't want the earning system. 
Because in another letter, Paul says, the wages of what you earn is death. So go with the gift system. That's a better setup. One of the other subtle ways that we do this is by the the mantras that we kind of tell ourselves. And the lines blur sometimes between self-help and Christian self-help. And sometimes you'll, you'll see a Christian blogger or Instagram influencer or whatever that's like, say to yourself, I am a queen, I am enough, I am, you know, and I understand, there's a part of it that, I'm, that is comical, and then there's a part of it that, that you understand a little bit, like self-esteem is important, we don't want people living with shame or, or this sense of, of that you're nothing, you're a worthless scum, maybe, you're, maybe it's an overcorrection from a a certain version of Christianity that says you're a dirty, rotten, worthless worm, you know? And so they're like, no, no, I am royalty, I am enough. Okay. But here's the problem with all of that, is actually the gospel invites us to freely say, I'm not enough. I'm not actually enough, but Jesus is. And the answer is not to look within ourselves and find strength, but to look to Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the subtlety in this actually even shows up in therapy stuff. I've been thinking about some of the shows I've been watching on, 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 you know, uh, uh, on Prime or on Netflix, whatever. And, and in many modern dramas, because they're secular stories, the movement towards virtue happens through therapy. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you think about your favorite show that you're watching, where you identify, a, there's not usually heroes and villains anymore, there's usually conflicted characters. So every character is a conflicted character with a little bit of guilt and a little bit of no, nobility. But the salvation, quote unquote, the move that helps them go from where they are to a more virtuous place is therapy. Now, therapy is a good thing, but therapy without Jesus or without the gospel becomes as long as you know these things about yourself, as long as you understand these things about yourself, now you have the key and then you can take it from here with these practices, these habits, these mantras, these routines. But the gospel says, actually, you need therapy, but you need therapy within the whole gospel context that allows us to name sin and allows us to rely on the Holy Spirit. When you do that, then counseling becomes a means of grace Rather than a way of saying, God, that's cute, and now I've got it from here. Does that make sense? I've talked to counselors in our church who work in secular settings who've said, man, it's so hard sometimes when I'm sitting across the chair, from, across the desk from someone, and I know what they really need to experience is stuff I can't, I'm not allowed to talk to them about. And I want to talk to them about their trauma, and I can, but I also need to talk to them about sin, and I also need to talk to them about grace, and I also need to talk to them about the Holy Spirit, but I can't say all those things. And this is why I'm so grateful Pastor Ken's leading Celebrate Recovery, which is a way to deal with addictions and hurts and hang-ups and habits, but to deal with it in the context of the gospel as well. I'm so grateful for our emotionally healthy discipleship stuff, which allows us to unearth the stuff about our past and all of that, but to put it before Jesus and to say, you heal this. You're the healer through these things. See, there's two errors that we can make with all this stuff as Christians. The one error is to say, we don't need counseling. We just got Jesus and the Bible, and that's all I need. Just pray the depression away. That's not right. God made your brains. God made your chemistry, God made your souls, God made counselors, God made science. Not, that's not controversial, okay? He is the maker of all things. 
But the other error we can make is, I just need this stuff. I just need my tips and my techniques and my mantras and my self-discovery and all of this stuff. And I, I don't, it doesn't really fit with the framework of the gospel. And I'm saying the two things belong together. That when you recognize, look, whether I'm trying to grow out of old habits or break old, happen, uh, old, old habits, all of those things, it cannot operate from a place of trusting in ourselves. Trusting in ourselves only makes things worse. This is what Paul's saying. Did you start in the spirit and then think you could take over from your own effort? Did you think you could say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now I've got it. And I'm going to do all this work and I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to, you know. Everything you do has to be from a place of trusting in God. And that's where he ends up in this text. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. He redeemed us so that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ and that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, here's, there's some remarkable things happening in just these two short verses. Think of that first verse, verse 13, first phrase in there, that Jesus became a curse. Whoa! You know, sometimes what's stuck in our minds about the gospel is we behaved badly, Jesus was punished on our behalf, now we don't have to be punished. That is true, but the New Testament tells a bigger story than that. It's not just that he took our punishment, it's that he became the curse. You're like, whoa, that's really strong. Second Corinthians, Paul says, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. You're like, Whoa, that's crazy. Romans 8, Paul says, God judged sin in the flesh of Christ Jesus. You're like, this is much more than Jesus was punished for me instead of me. If we think that way, we're going to have this weird view of God that God just had to get punishment. He had to beat someone up. And Jesus was there, so okay, fine. And you get to distortions of that. But when you see the way Paul talks about it, it's much bigger than that. There is evil in the world. Here we are on the, the weekend of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. If nothing else, the events, the attack against America reminded us that evil really does exist in the world. There are people who collaborate with spirits of darkness and violence to bring terror, fear and terror into, into homes and hearts. We understand, we're like, oh, there, there's evil. And the question that we all have is, well, what will God do about evil? And on the cross we say, he judged it in the body of Jesus. He dealt with the curse by becoming a curse. He dealt with sin by becoming sin. He dealt with evil by bearing evil and then letting it be judged in him. I mean, if only there was a fantasy novel that illustrated this, where the main character had a part of the curse in him so that by dying he could destroy the curse. Oh, wait! Harry Potter, book seven. <laughs> now, I know, I know. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, Harry Potter, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I, I, I love C.S. Lewis, I love Tolkien, I love all those books, but to me, it's Harry Potter book 7 that speaks of this more powerfully than any other page. It's true. The curse is in him, and by allowing himself to be killed, he breaks the curse. Hey, but that sounds like what Paul's saying. He became the curse. Listen to the same, these same two verses in the message paraphrase, and we'll pay attention to the second half now. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? 
That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse. Catch this. And at the same time, dissolved the curse. Hallelujah. And now, because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, God's spirit, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. Our Old Testament reading this morning was from Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham and he says, I'm choosing you, but not just for you, but for all the families in the world. That means their failure is not a local, regional story. It's actually a global crisis. That's why reading the Old Testament matters. Because the failure of Israel and the failure of Abraham's family to deliver on their calling, that's a global crisis. Because in a way, this is how the Bible tells the story. The whole world was in need of saving. God chose one people to be the agents of that blessing, but they themselves ended up in trouble. For several summers now, I've spent a couple days teaching high school seniors and kids that are just right out of high school in a gap kind of weak thing called Summit over at Manitou Springs. And very often I'm given the session, the task of teaching three or four sessions on how to read the Bible. And we get to one of the sessions where I'm trying to do the meta narrative of the Bible, the big story of the Bible. And I'm thinking, man, a lot of these kids have just ne- have never read the Bible. Or if they've read it, they don't see the forest for the trees. So I'm trying to find a way to make the story come alive. And inevitably, I end up comparing it to a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I, I, sh- I shouldn't compare it to that because I've never seen a zombie apocalypse movie. I don't like a zombie apocalypse movie. But imagine a zombie apocalypse. And imagine that a group of scientists or researchers or whatever developed the antidote to the zombie infection and they were on their way to New York City to release the cure. I don't know why New York City, but that's just the way these movies work, okay? So go with me. And imagine that you're like, these people are the only hope of the zombie apocalypse. They can reverse the zombie, you know, infection or whatever. And you, they get all the way there and the doors of the bus open and you're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden the, move, the music stops and the bus driver goes, yeah. And then, you know, Michael Jackson starts coming on. And you realize, oh no, the people who were supposed to carry the cure are themselves infected. Dun, dun, dun. That's the cliffhanger at the end of the Old Testament. There's basically an infection in the world. Everyone is doomed. One people is supposed to carry the cure. Turns out they're zombies too. They're the walking dead. And Jesus comes and bears the curse in himself and breaks it so that now blessing can flow. Jesus became the curse to break its power and to bring us blessing. Jesus became the curse to break its power and to bring us blessing. See, the, the, the narrative of Scripture all flows together. God made a promise to Abraham and he said, I did not forget it and I will not abandon it. This is why we can't speak about Jesus as a plan B. We can't speak about the New Testament as like, yeah, that's cool. That's different. It's, it is different, but it's, it's a radical new way of fulfilling the original promise. The original promise was, I'm going to use this, these people to bring blessing to all people. They failed, so Jesus, Matthew's gospel, opens by saying Jesus is the seed of Abraham. This is why Paul keeps going back to Abraham. Keeps going back to say, Jesus, that's the straight line. Abraham to Jesus. And Jesus, by suffering on Israel's behalf, 
broke the curse and opened up the way. Now the original plan for everyone to be blessed, it's back on. You can get in on this. We come to the end of this and you realize midway through chapter 3, wait a minute, I thought this whole sermon was about our faith and was about our believing. You come to realize that actually the way the gospel works is your faith is not the main plot line. Your faith is not the star of the show. Like I thought it was about how my, I have such great faith in God. Listen, the truth of Christianity is it's not about the size of your faith but the object of your faith. It's not, it's not how much you're trusting, but who you're trusting. That's why our gospel reading was about Jesus saying, it just takes a mustard seed. It's a tiny bit of faith. So don't turn faith into a new kind of works. Right? I got more faith than you. You got more faith than me. Even calling the disciples people of great faith. Really? Like these are the people who like ran when Jesus was crucified, you know? I don't think anything in the New Testament is trying to make us say, Wow, great faith. I think everything in the New Testament is designed to make us say, what a great Savior. What a great Savior. And I'm going to cling to Him. And so as we close this morning, the question that we started with, do you want to get in on this? And how do we get in on this? It comes down to trusting Jesus and the Spirit. Now we're going to find out throughout this letter in the weeks to come, there is a a new way of living Paul will be very clear about that in Galatians 5. This is a way of the flesh and this is a way of the spirit. There is a new way of living. But this new way of living won't happen in you because you trust in yourself. This new way of living will happen because you're clinging to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. My favorite illustration of this, and if you've been around New Life downtown, you're probably tired of hearing this story, but I just just love it. So bear with me. In the mid-1800s, there was a French acrobat named Jean-Francois Gravelais. He went by the stage name of Charles Blondin. And he put a tightrope across Niagara Falls and crossed Niagara Falls multiple times. It's a true story. You can look it up. He crossed Niagara Falls multiple times. And people would gather, crowds would gather, and they would cheer. And they're like, Blondin is the greatest. Blondin is incredible. And then he would say, do you believe... I can carry someone on my back across the tightrope across Niagara Falls. And people are like, we believe, we believe in you. And then he said, any volunteers? <laughs> and this is where you see what faith really means. Faith is not, oh, Jesus, I believe. I'm such a fan of your work, Jesus. You're the way maker. Mm. Such a fan, big fan. I believe in you. Blondine says, if you believe, any volunteers? To cling to my back. Nobody volunteered. So Blondine volunteered, voluntold, his manager. His manager's name was Harry Calcord. And that's a picture of it. Top hat and all. Walking across the tightrope across Niagara Falls. And before they got on, you can read the story. It's a true story. Before they got on, Blondine says to Calcord, he says, listen, listen. When we get out on the rope, I don't want you trying to balance. I don't want you trying to do the work. Because if you try to balance, you're going to tip both of us over. In other words, I'm the tightrope walker, not you. Don't you try to balance. But Blondine says to Calcord, he says, but, but here's the deal. When I move, you move. When I step, you step. When I stop, you stop. When I lean, you lean. And then he literally says this phrase, up there, there is no more Calcord. There is only Blondine.
And when I read that story, I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds like the end of Galatians 2 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I don't live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so now Paul says, what does that life of faith look like? It means when I wake up Monday morning, it's not Glenn's going to try harder to love his family or Glenn's going to try harder to be nice to the people he works with. It's Glenn's going to cling to Jesus and say, Jesus, love my family through me today. Jesus, work faithfully today through me. Jesus, I'm clinging to you. And when you step, I step. When you lean, I lean. There is no more me. There is only Christ in me. This is what the life of faith looks like. Sometimes, as the worship team comes, sometimes people say, oh, you know, you Christians, faith is just such a crutch. My parents for years pastored a church in Malaysia, and these students would come from mainland China, and they would attend a community college to learn English, and they grew up in sort of this atheist uh, mantra in China, and, and, and they were told that religion is a crutch, and you don't need religion. If you're truly a strong, modern person, you don't need religion. Come to find out that not only is religion a crutch, it's the resurrection we all need. <laughs> if someone says, oh, you just need this faith thing because you're, you're, you're limping, and you just need a crutch. Man, I don't need a crutch. I need resurrection. <laughs> I'm not a bad person trying to become good. I'm a dead person who needs new life. So you better believe I'm clinging to Jesus every day. I'm not trying to pretend I'm strong. I'm not confessing mantras that I'm enough. I'm freely saying I'm not enough, but Jesus is enough. I'm freely saying I have sinned, but Jesus is my Savior. I'm freely saying that I don't know how to live this out well. I don't know how to love well, but I'm clinging to Jesus. And the faith in the Son of God is what will carry me day after day after day. Should you bow your heads with me this morning?